Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, yeah, we are going to dive into Advent. Um, now, if Advent's kind of a new thing, uh, it is a time, like Michaela was saying, it's a time that celebrates the, and the anticipation and coming of Jesus Christ. The origin of the word Advent just means coming, just coming. Uh, Adventus is the name. But not only is the Christian meaning for the preparation and celebration of the coming of Christ, His birth at Christmas, that we celebrate, but it's also this, to celebrate the coming of the good news inside someone's heart who follows Christ, and it is also an anticipation of Jesus' coming and returning again. Uh, so let's prepare our hearts just for today's word. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for your word that we can come and get fed by you this morning. God, thank you that we get a time to just pause and be still before you. God, with the pace and the franticness of life, the chaos that it brings. Father, I pray that just this morning we would get a chance to just be with you. God, hear from you. God, direct our hearts. God, speak to us in a way that only you know how. God, to the depths of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we'll kind of start off with this. Um, uh, have you ever snuck into a movie uh, halfway through? When I was in high school, I didn't do this too much after post-college, but uh, you, you go to your, your, you buy a ticket, you go buy your ticket, you go watch your movie, and then either afterwards or you get there a little early, and what do you, you, what you might do? You might peruse the peruse the aisle, right, or peruse the lane, what other movies are showing, let me jump in on one of those before mine starts, or hey, this other movie is playing, let's jump in on that, and, and uh, almost always in those situations, if you were to kind of jump into that, is that you would be jumping usually in the middle of a story, and you don't really have the full context of what's going on, there's some uh, some a world you may not understand, a relationship you may not get, a, a conversation that goes kind of like, what in the world are they talking about? Man, I missed kind of the first half. It doesn't really work to start in the middle of the story. Same way when you crack open a novel or a book, if you were to kind of jump in right in the middle, you wouldn't know who the characters were, you wouldn't know their mission, you wouldn't know really the challenges that they've had. Uh, at the beginning. And so it's really hard to understand what's going on. And then in the same way, have you ever been at a party and jumped in a conversation in the middle of it and then realize, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that? Or you get that look that everybody turns and like, what are you talking about? We already talked about that. I mean, think, welcome to the conversation. And you're like, ah, oh my gosh, I just jumped in the middle of that conversation. Well, you can't jump in the middle of the story. And if you start in the middle of the Christmas season with the baby in Bethlehem, you're not starting at the beginning, but really at the middle. 
And there's things that don't make sense in his birth narrative story. Why the celebratory songs of the angels? Why the fearful anticipation of the shepherds? Why the long inquisitive journey by the kings from the east? Why the, why the political panic of Herod? I mean, there's a lot of things in Jesus' story that we just kind of like take on because we're familiar with the story, but it's like, why in the world? What is going on? There's a lot of questions. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the roots of the story of the birth of Christ. And that story of that baby in the manger is actually rooted in the grief in the heart of God. If you want to know why Christmas, why the birth of Christ, it's rooted in the grief in the heart of God. And if you don't understand that grief in the heart of our Creator, you won't understand the glorious story of the baby being born. So we're going to start, we're going to turn to Genesis 6. Genesis 6 this morning is going to be kind of our key verse that we'll kind of rally around. Well, I'll just go ahead and read Genesis 6, 5 through 8. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, and I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's our key verse for this morning. So just kind of keep that verse up there. Look at verse 6. It says, the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Consider for a moment the deeply personal nature of those words. The Lord was grieved. The Lord was sorry. What is it that would have brought him such sorrow, some, such grief to his heart? Those words suggest something that, that's personal, some kind of personal offense, a, a personal betrayal. But what personal thing could be that significant that it would literally bring tears to the heart of God? Look at the words in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, could you get more graphic, more specific, especially in this section of the Bible where they're covering creation to this man Abraham, which we'll get to, uh, all in a span of 12 little chapters. But here there's this great description this graphic description of what humanity had become. God saw the wickedness of man was great. At the time, all over the inhabited earth were people, and they were continually doing things evil in the sight of God. And every intention of their thoughts, it says, wow. That was like not just in the behavior, but it had worked down into the very grain of their being. Their thoughts were not about the Lord. Could there be a sadder passage in all of Scripture. But I want you to think about this this morning. Do you really, you don't really understand the great horror of those words. You don't understand their tragedy. You don't understand that this sad thing that would bring such grief to the heart of God if you don't understand these words in this passage relationally. Relationally. This passage is describing something that's deeply personal 
And if you don't understand the deeply personal, the very relational aspect of what's being described here, you don't really understand the glory of the sending of that baby to Bethlehem. And here's our first point. Human beings were created and hardwired to love God. Human beings were created and hardwired to love God. That love of God, that God-oriented way of living, God-consciousness was to be the thing that would shape every thought, every motive, every choice, every decision, every word or action. It's supposed to, it was supposed to shape fundamentally that if you were and I to ask a person in that situation why you were doing what you were doing, their answer would be, God, that's, that's why I'm here. We would recognize his existence. We would recognize his authority. We would recognize his grandeur. And as an act of deeply personal love, we would choose to serve him with all of our time and our energy. We were made to love God. That's what we were created to do. Now, I'll make a statement, and it might sound weird, but if you think about it, it's true. All of us, every human being, is born to be a lover. You and I are here. All of us are lovers. Now, it sounds funny, but it's true. You and I are wired for love. And arguably, everything that you and I do, whether whatever we do is driven and motivated by love or a need for love, everything that you do is driven and motivated by love. It is. Now you're going to kind of be like, big question mark on that, Dave. I don't feel love all the time. Well, it's not about that, but every action that we do is a result of, is motivated by love. The rightful home to that love that we were made for is in the heart of our Creator. That's how we were meant to live. It's so important to understand that obedience to God is not some kind of technical submission to abstract rules. That's not what obedience is. Obedience is rooted in the love of God. And because when a person loves God, they find joy in Him. They find joy in living by His ways, thankfully and gratefully embracing His boundaries. They, they find joy in what He calls them to do. They find joy in serving Him. They find joy in pointing to His glory because they love Him. Is that not true in any strong, healthy relationship, that when you love someone, you want to serve them, that, that their joy becomes your joy? If they're full of joy, man, is, does, do you not get a, a uh, collateral damage of that joy onto you? Like, man, when they're experiencing joy, I'm experiencing joy. That's how every human being who was ever given life and breath was meant to live. That was the plan. And now, it's very clear by the time we get to Genesis 6 <laughs> that something has happened because there must have been some other love that has claimed the heart of human beings because they no longer delight in serving God. No longer do they find joy in His joy, but they willingly, purposefully, and continually do what is evil in His eyes. By the time we get to Genesis 6, so as you're reading this, we need to understand this. When human beings no longer love God as they should, 
it doesn't mean that they don't love. Because you and I always love. You were hardwired to be a lover. So if you're not loving God, then you will give that love to somebody or someone else, something else. No one in this room is loveless. Second point, we are all lovers, and either God owns your love at the deepest, most profound level, or something else does. All lovers. And so when you're reading here about this evil and wickedness that brought grief to the heart of God, you should ask the question, what love is so seductive and so powerful and so deceptive that it has the possibility in sin to replace that love that you and I were meant to have for God? The Apostle Paul, the New Testament, skipping way forward in the story, gives us an answer to this. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer, what? Live for themselves. No longer live for themselves. You see, the thing that always replaces love for God, the thing that leads to this endless catalog of evil is love of self. Somehow, someway, we insert ourselves into the center of our world. And we don't find delight in serving Him. We're obsessed with our will and our way. We want to be sovereign over our own lives. We want to set our own rules. We're obsessed with our own comfort and our own pleasure and our own happiness. It doesn't take a whole lot. But just look around us and you see massive empirical evidence of this dominating, controlling, enslaving life-shaping self-love. What makes relationships difficult? (laughs) That's self-love, baby. We don't know how to love other people. We know how to love ourselves very well. What makes marriage so hard where two people come together in covenant relationship with the full intention that I... You, I, all of me is yours and all of you, and we share this life, and then you start living it. And then what gets in that way? And what makes that marriage difficult? Self-love. What makes parenting, one of the most challenging job descriptions on the planet, is because you just birthed self-sovereigns that have their own will, and they start exerting that will very early on in life. So how do you navigate a will without crushing a will? Hmm. What makes parenting so hard? These little ones with their own little will. And then you have selfish parents that they parent a lot of times because their children are getting in the way of their (laughs) self-love. And so they parent. Anyway, it gets a lot of evil, a lot of chaos. A lot of brokenness happens in those moments because we choose to self-love rather than know how to love or actually love the way we were meant to love. But if you think about it, every act of murder, violence is rooted in self-love. Every moment of greed is rooted in self-love. Every kind of gossip is rooted in self-love. Every moment of a Disobedience is rooted in self-love. Every moment of lust and adultery is rooted in self-love. 
The evil of the world has happened because we no longer love God as we should. And it's a tragedy because the world it was designed to have as its center love of God. And when that's not there, the things that were meant to work don't work. Good intentions mixed with bad ideas with self-loving hearts explode into evil and chaos. But God loves humanity so much that it says that his heart was broken over how man chose to direct their love. If you love someone and they turn their back on you, they betray that love, and they set their love on someone else, that is painful. So many of us may have experienced that in like maybe a a high school relationship or a college relationship, usually kind of early on relationships where uh, they just a relationship disintegrates, one person falls in love with maybe somebody else, and they move on. And that sense of betrayal, that sense of, man, I want that love, but it is now gone. For the Lord, God proves Himself not just to be sovereign, not just to be creator, not just to be almighty, to be a God of marvelous love as He weeps at the betrayal because human life was meant in His fundamental form to be a beautiful love relationship between God and man. And as you read this passage, you should let your imagination see the tears in the eyes of God. Let your ears in these passages hear His weeping. God is grieved. Not not only has that love been taken from Him, but that love has been stolen for us. It's the ultimate of human betrayals. Well, if you get this far in this passage... The question becomes, what is God going to do? How will God respond to this betrayal? Well, going back to our main passage, verse 7 and 8 says, The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, and I'm sorry that I made them. Man, verse 7 sounds like a sad and horrible ending to the story. That God, not in an act of ugly vengeance, but God in holy, righteous justice says, enough, I made you, I love you, I provided every good thing that you could ever want, a life of beauty that you could have, you could have never made on yourself. And this is what you do, you turn your back on me, he says, I will wipe you out and wipe the earth clean. God has every right to do that. It's not an unrighteous anger. It is holy and righteous justice that sends the waters of the flood to wipe the earth clean. And it would seem that this is the end of the story. Is this grand love story that's kind of just beginning, is this the ending? But thankfully, there's a verse 8. And in Genesis 6, 8, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In an act of sovereign grace, God places his favor on Noah and his family. And it's very important that from this point uh, that we we find Noah, um, that what happens after the waters of the flood recede, God comes to Noah and makes a covenant with him. 
And in that covenant, God says to Noah, your descendants will be blessed. Makes a covenant with him that I'm going to be with you and I'm going to demonstrate my presence with you in the real world by their, your descendants will be blessed as a sign that God is king. The Apostle Paul alerts us to the fact that, um, oh, then if you go a little farther, uh, if you read kind of in Noah's line pretty quickly in the story, you get to a guy named Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and makes a covenant with him. He echoes his covenant with Noah. And then he says, it says, all the families of the earth will be blessed and through your seed. It says the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not only will your descendants be blessed, but through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's expanding this blessing. The Apostle Paul said that the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. You see, the only way this horrible brokenness of relationship could be rectified was for God to send Himself. So last point. Genesis 6 again. I want to look at this and kind of break this down to land the plane here. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Now listen to what it says. It says, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Our problem, our big problem is not first a behavior problem. If all our problem was that we, that we occasionally misbehave in wrong ways, we could probably reform ourselves and get better. But our problem is much, much deeper than that. Our, our problem is a heart problem. Biblically, the heart is... Uh, the, 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 the center, the decision center, the control center of the human being. The heart is the, uh, whatever the heart will, when the heart makes a willful choice, our mind, our will, and emotions will catch up with it. Another phrase that says, the mind justifies what the heart has chosen. Meaning, when your heart chooses to go a direction, your mind will rationalize and justify for that decision to make sense, to be rational, for us to live with ourselves, with maybe the cognitive dissonance on some of the things that we're deciding to do. But the one thing that we're not able to do is escape the broken, corrupt condition of our own heart. We can change behavior. We can't escape that corrupt heart. And so you and I need to be rescued healed and restored. Someone needs to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves if we're ever going to love God the way he was meant to be loved. And so God sends his son to be exposed to all the harsh realities of life in a fallen and self-loving world, to live in the midst of brokenness and temptation in an utterly perfect way, a life that flowed out of his love for God. Father, what did Jesus? Father, I came to do your will. Jesus was the disciple of disciples. He was the ultimate, you know, one that just says, God, I'm here to do. I'm here to love you perfectly and to do your will. And every thought and every desire and every word and every action, he perfectly obeyed. He did what we were unable to do, and he took our self-loving sin upon himself and paid a price for it with his death so that there could be hope for you and me. 
And finally, love of self would be defeated and it would be replaced by a love for God and that someday we would stand before him where every cell and every part of our body, especially our heart, lives to love God. Now listen, (laughs) there are times when your thoughts and my thoughts are shaped by love for God, but not always. There are times when you act in ways that you wouldn't act if you didn't first love God, but not always. You gave, I gave empirical evidence this week that that war of love still goes on in our lives. And that brought evil and chaos into the place where you live. And maybe that struggle, even this morning, even as you're preparing to come worship the Lord, outbreaks of self-love created anger and division and conflict on your way here. How ironic is that? Anyway, and so the sad reality of this betrayal and the glorious celebration of the hope that is ours is represented in that baby in a manger who has come on this mission to rescue, redeem, heal, and restore. He is the only remedy on planet earth for our heart and our brokenness. And when he comes, he heals that aspect of our heart that we begin to see that that self-love is probably the one thing that has brought more and more pain into our own personal life into our lives of our families, into the lives of our friends, or someone else's self-love, how much chaos that is created in your world. And so we end up protecting ourselves. But when we meet a God with this kind of love, when we meet the God that you and I were wired to worship and love, there's something that comes alive in us that goes deeper than anything we can experience on this planet. And we finally feel this beacon call to come back home. That that love that your heart was made to love, come back home. Come back home to me to find a place where your love can be received. And that you can become who you've been created to be. But it starts with this tearing down of this self-love. And so when we first maybe... When you first came to follow Jesus, and you really, and that's one of the first things that, the big aha of how much we love ourselves and how little we love, really love the Lord in our personal, everyday, walking around life. And so this journey begins where the Lord is trying to deal with our heart. Stop loving yourself and love me. You will become who you've been created to be. That personality, those giftings, those come alive when you love me. But when we love ourselves, we become a shell of who we've been created to be. And we have inklings in our hearts and our thoughts and imagination. Oh yeah, one day I'll be like that. But then the older you get and the decades pass and you realize, man, I'm not loving the way my 19-year-old when I began serving Jesus was envisioning me serving you. And so here's this call in this Advent season, whether you've never stopped loving yourself and turned to loving God, 
Maybe that's the season for you. Maybe he's finally getting your attention to say, you know, this self-love is driving you into a direction you were not made to go. So turn and receive the love of the Father. But then for others that have may have been in this war on self-love versus love for God, I feel like God really wants this season to be a season where we really deal a little bit harder on that self-love. That maybe some of that self-love has been getting in the way of this love for God. And that maybe in this season the Lord would highlight some things. The things that you're protecting. The things you're wanting to control. The things that are freaking you out. That maybe that it's rooted a little bit deeper in a love of self that's ab- absorbent. Absorbent? Is that? I don't even think that's a word. That's larger than it should be. Wow. Amen? Come on. Let's pray. God, thank you for making us lovers. That God, we do love. No matter what we do, we're doing it out of love. And Father, I pray that Lord, that you would take the veil off of us to see the things that we do out of love for you and the things that we do out of love for ourselves. And Father, I pray that, Lord, in this season, God, you'd put your finger on some things that are holding us back from loving you well, from loving you, for for finding joy in your joy, for, God, us Uh, delighting in your thoughts over humanity. God, delighting in your thoughts over us. Lord, Father, I pray that we would come to love you well this season. And that, God, we would take a whole, just a, Father, a transformative quantum leap in this next season that everyone here that's a follower of you, God, that we would just take on loving you as being our number one mission. God, that we would find so much life and joy of loving you well. And as we love you, God, that's going to pour out into us knowing how to love others. Because, God, you've loved us. You first loved us, Father. So, Lord, I pray in this season, Lord, that you would um, just be with us. Let your presence be with us. Let your joy be with us. And let us, God, just... Maybe do away with some of the boxes or the stuffy old-time religion stuff, God, that just gets in the way, God, of just a walk with you, a pure relationship walk with you, that we would walk uprightly, that we would walk confidently and humbly together as your people in this hour. God, we thank you for your love over us. We thank you that you were the one that reached out and loved us. God, you were the one, your pursuing love. Lord, not only enabled, God, you to send Jesus, but God, your pursuing love still pursues our hearts today. God, may we yield to that wooing of you. And God, may we yield to your love. Because Father, on the other side of that, we, re- we realize that It's the thing that we've always wanted and craved and desired. But God, we were loving ourselves 
instead of loving you. So Lord, thank you for this time. Bless this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.